The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Hey everyone, Matt Straub welcoming you to the Roto World Fantasy Basketball Podcast. It is Friday, September 4th. As always, we're here to talk some playoff hoops, looking at some recent trends from a fantasy perspective, a little bit from a real-life perspective, a little bit completely outside of reality, because I think Steve and I are both a little punchy. I'm joined, as always, by the aforementioned Steve Alexander. Steve, what's the latest? Uh, trying to recover from last night's crazy stuff on the basketball court. And I'm sorry, did you say last night? I just got to stop you right there. Did you oh. mean... Did you I, mean Wednesday? Did you I mean, mean Wednesday, night? Wednesday nights? <laughs> Looniness, and then also still celebrating the Ozuna Duval three home runs back to back games for the Braves. First MLB players to do it since a couple guys you may have heard of, Babe Ruth, Babe Ruth? and Lou Gehrig. Yeah, that's pretty wild. Only guys to do it. Those are the only four, right? Yeah, and now for those who missed it. Because, you know, we don't dive into baseball that much here. Marcelo Zuna and Adam Duvall of the Braves hit back-to-back three, had back-to-back three homer games at Fenway Park. And Jeff Francoeur, Braves broadcaster, former MLB player, of course, was saying that Ruth and Garrick did it in double headers. So Duvall and Ozuna's feat is unique even in that way because it was just one game each day. Mm. So, hey, you know. I came here to talk basketball, but if you want to do a deep dive on this Ozuna Duval <laughs> thing, I'm I'm here for it. <laughs> I don't know if we need to go deep, but uh, I think we've gone right. deep enough for the basketball people. Okay, yeah, I think the, I think the basketball people who are not into baseball have have had quite enough, <laughs> <laughs> and the non Braves fans are done with it too. So let's move on, Steve. The first topic I want to talk about today was a guy by the name of Jason Tatum, and. We're recording this prior to Thursday's Game 3 of the Celtics-Raptors series. Tatum has just, I mean, he's just been ridiculous. First six games of the playoffs, all wins for the Celtics. He averaged 27.2 points per game, 9.3 boards, 3.0 dimes, 0.7 steals, 1.5 blocks, 3.33 pointers. Great percentages, 48.7 from the field, 82.5 from the line, 1.8 turnovers. Real life, he's dominating fantasy he is basically already become a first round guy he was number 12 before the season shut down he's now ninth in nine category leagues if you combine his playoff numbers onto basketballmonster.com which i'm not really sure why we're doing that but we are (laughs) the bottom line is steve i want to get your thoughts on this tatum is really flying up my early september draft board as i'm looking ahead to next season whenever that's going to start this is a guy i'm basically targeting to draft, I think, in the first half of the first round. Yes, I am the same way. My son and I talk about Tatum a lot. I keep telling him that he's going to be he's going to be the best player of his draft class if he's not already, and he's also going to be the best player in the league or maybe the second best player behind a, a certain point guard for the Dallas Mavericks. Uh, 
in a oh few boy. years. It's coming. So we talk about, about talking about Delon Wright, Jalen Brunson. Who are you talking? you talking about? We talk about Jason Tatum quite a bit. And and the thing is, like the thirty four points, I think was his playoff career high, which is hard to believe. So I kind of feel like, in addition to all this great stuff he's doing, he hasn't even scratched the surface yet of what's coming. So I, if I don't get Luca or Trey in my drafts this year, I think Tatum's going to be my, my number three target. I'm big on looking at just going to a basketball reference or whatever site you use for stats and just looking at year-by-year stats, especially for young players as they're ascending. Tatum has made a very steady climb just about across the board each year he's been in the league. He went from 13.9 points to 15.7 to 23.4. The rebounds went up each year by 1, 5 to 6 to 7. Assists went from 1.6 as a rookie to 3.0 this year. The steals are up over his rookie year. The blocks are up. We're up this year. Threes have gone up steadily, 1.3, 1.5, 2.9. This guy is just still on the rise. He's 22 years old. I was looking at Basketball Monster, and I was thinking to myself, who am I taking? Oh, now I'm in. <laughs> I was in 2011-12 there when I went to my page, and I'll tell you why a little bit later on. But... I mean, who are you taking ahead of him in fantasy, just off the top of your head? I would still take Harden ahead of him. I would still take Anthony Davis. We're going to talk about Davis in a minute. I think I'm probably taking Lillard ahead of him. It's a pretty short list, though. Do you trust Carl Anthony Towns anymore? I think so. I think so. You know, Towns only played 35 games this year, but I he's probably a guy I'm taking ahead of Tatum, assuming his health picture is looking good as training camp gets underway. But Right, right around six, I think, is where I'm starting to think about Tatum. And, you know, Doncic is in that conversation too. But I don't think I was really that big on Tatum until recently. But my eyes have opened to how ridiculously good this guy is and how much more upside he still has. So you and I are in a draft together. I take Luca at five. Okay. You've got the sixth pick. Okay. And, and, Trey, and Trey and Tatum oh. are sitting there. <laughs> oh, no, don't do this to me. Who you, who you I, got? I'm taking Trey. I'm okay. taking Trey. Okay. Now, now look, Tatum does it on a winning team, right? So it also gets amplified a little bit, and, and that's fair. But let's not forget, Trey was basically like 30 points and nine assists this year and could be potentially better than that next year. So Tatum was technically the better fantasy player than Trey, right? Because lower turnovers for starters, et cetera. But yeah, I still, I still think I'd take Trey before him. Just because of the Hawks factor. I think if Trey's not on the Hawks, I think you have a very strong case to take Tatum there. Yeah. I thought the Hawks factor you were talking about was the fact you love them. You were talking about the fact that they, they're they not very good. <laughs> no, no, no. I was talking about the fact that I love them. Thank you for clarifying. I was talking about my own, the Hawks factor being my own personal Hawks bias. If Trey was on the Sacramento Kings and was putting up these numbers, there's a chance I'd take Tatum. But since I watch every single Hawks game, I think there's a chance that my personal bias gets in the way here. Well, and I, I think the I think the fact that the Celtics are such a good team and a deep team is a good point. I mean, I've always leaned towards drafting guys that are kind of lone rebels on bad teams than drafting a really good player that's surrounded by a bunch of really good players in a deep rotation on a really good team. I think blowouts come into play guys tend to get more rest play for really good teams and i just would rather 
have the one man wrecking crew kind of guy on my team than the than the guy that is more of a true team unit. You know what I'm saying? I do. And and because if we look at Tatum averaging nearly 24 points per game this year and the Celtics being that deep team you talked about, it's not like we're suddenly expecting him to go up to 30 points per game next year. He might improve on his steady trajectory and it's like 26 points per game next year, which is still great with the rest of his numbers and you really can't go wrong. But yeah, he may not, because of the team he plays on, may not yet have that year where he's just you know 30 points per game and everything else yeah what if Tatum played for the Kings I mean he he would be a a (laughs) monster and it was kind of like what we said when Kawhi was spent all those years with the Spurs like what if he played for a coach that turned him loose and really really just ran everything through him in fairness if Tatum played for the Kings he'd probably be stuck on on the bench behind Harrison Barnes or something like that (laughs) knowing the way the Kings handle things (laughs) We'd be like, why can't Tatum get any minutes? What are the Kings doing here? (laughs) (laughs) I thought he was going to be good. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. All right. So, Steve, we're going to talk now about this Bucks heat series on Wednesday night. Just a wild finish with some pretty ridiculous foul calls. So why don't we start there? Because you were all fired up on Wednesday night texting me about about the refereeing in that game. So let's just quickly get your thoughts on that. Well, I, I also was going on a rare Twitter rant, which I don't do all oh, that boy. much these days, but I, I, just, I couldn't believe what was happening. But uh, I just, the Goran Dragic got called for a foul on Chris Middleton three-pointer with, you know, with the Bucks down three. And dude was literally standing there, not moving with his arms straight up in the air. Like Doris Burke's going crazy. She's like, that is not a foul. That is a good defensive play. And of course, Steve Javi gets on there. He's like, oh, it's completely a foul. I completely understand why they called that. He was, <laughs> his momentum was still, and I was like, okay. So then my kid and I were watching it and I'm like, Middleton's going to hit all three of these free throws. He's like, yep. Yep, he is, and he did. He, I think he swished all three of them. Like they were no, no doubters. And then at the other end, Jimmy Butler shoots it, and Giannis touches him on his hip, and yeah. We, so Butler at the buzzer, tied at one fourteen, is fading away. It's kind of a step back fade away on the left baseline, and he's he's got two guys. Is it Wesley Matthews and Giannis are over there, and as Butler's falling away, Giannis does put a hand on his kind of side, you know, in kind of the oblique area. But, I mean, wow. Literally, like, I would call it a brush. It wasn't a push. His hand basically brushed his jersey. I mean, either way, even if the hand's on him, it seems like Butler is already going that way. It's not like Giannis shoved him or swiped at him or anything like that. So that one's crazy to not let the game go to overtime there. I really wanted to see overtime also. Yeah, that's pretty brutal. I don't care who wins, but you know, so you had that going on in that. Like, and it, like one of the things I said on Twitter was, if they called the game that way from the opening tip, every player on both teams would foul out <laughs> before it was over. Like every before halftime. <laughs> yeah, because those those are not fouls during the course of regular play, but everything's different in the bubble. It just seems like everything's different. I think taking the Taking the fan element out of the arena, for whatever reason, has changed the way these guys are, are calling the game, I think. Everyone fouls out, and Udonis Haslam goes for like 25 and 12 <laughs> with no one else available. <laughs> uh, Steve, you and I were both talking before we got on here about 
how much fun and how good the aforementioned Jimmy Butler and Goran Dragic have been. I was already to talk about Butler, and you said, can we talk about Dragic too? And I think that's a great call. So let's let's start with Butler, though. So far in that series, 22.0 points, 4.7 rebounds, 4.0 assists, 2.5 steals, 0.8 blocks, 1.03s. He's been electric. And Steve, my takeaway from this is I am actually really enjoying watching the Heat. I don't normally really like the Heat, but I think they've been pretty fun to watch so far in the playoffs. I also want to say that Butler turns 31 in about 10 days. He obviously has a lengthy injury history. So I've both been loving this performance, and I really hope that by putting this on a recording, I have the wisdom not to draft him in fantasy next year. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, Jimmy was not really electric last night either. He was three of eight, missed both his threes. Yeah, that's true. Not last night. I mean, Wednesday night. He was electric in game one. Yes, the 40-point game. 40 spot. And they were all outside jumpers, and they were all pure. And he's not really, like, I don't think of Jimmy Butler as a a good jump shooter type of guy, but that game he was electric. And he's really been electric throughout these entire playoffs. I mean, the Heat are rolling people. They've got the Bucks down uh, 0-2, and... um, Giannis is in trouble, man. So, but yeah, uh, Jimmy has been electric, and I think Dragic has possibly been the unsung hero of these entire playoffs. Like, he's just playing so well and doing so many things, and I just don't think he gets any credit for it. He's been incredible. It's been inspiring. 23.5 points, 4.5 rebounds, 4.8 assists, 1.3 steals, 3.03s. He's 34 years old. I don't know exactly why Spolstra decided to kind of crank up Dragic's minutes. I don't know whether it was the plan all along or whether it was all the time off made him that much fresher and he could do it. Either way, it's been brilliant because he's still a very tough guy to guard, you know? Yeah, it's interesting that Kendrick Nunn started over him the entire season. And then the playoffs get here and all of a sudden Spools is like, "Uh, guess what? I'm going to play Kendrick Nunn nine minutes and we're just going to roll with Dragic. So, Maybe that was their plan all year long is that Dragic is 34 years old. Let's just hide him on the bench for the regular season and have him come out in the playoffs and just bust people. So (laughs) it worked, man. It worked. The all-new Roto-World Premium subscription package has the tools and resources to help you dominate your fantasy leagues across all sports from draft to playoffs. Plus, get free access to our brand-new sports betting tools from now to September 28th. As a listener of the Roto-World Fantasy Basketball Podcast, get $10 off any annual subscription to Roto-World Premium. To find your edge, visit rotoworld.com slash edge using the promo code BKPOD10 at checkout. Matt, I've got all my, I've got all my uh, fantasy football drafts coming up this week, and I'm, I've got my edge products all loaded. I've got my draft guide ready nice. to go, and I am fired up about some football. I already had my main fantasy football draft with my my hometown league, which is very heated and cutthroat. And I may have a couple others coming up, but I was curious: Are you doing still doing one quarterback leagues? Or are you doing super flex leagues like a lot of people are now? Uh, Rick Cam has got me in his super flex league. Yeah, you got to go super flex. It's so much fun. And then my other one is just a one quarterback PPR, no super flex. But it's funny because back in the day, back when I lived in Indiana and was playing in like 95, 96, those guys had a two-quarterback 
setup. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't super flex. It was just straight two QBs. Oh, yeah. And it was an auction. So it was it was a kind of ahead of its time and really difficult because those those two QB leagues, man, you gotta you gotta get your quarterbacks early or your toast. Oh man. My league used to be a strictly a two quarterback league. It's been that way for like fifteen years, but we switched over to the super flex thing. I don't know, like six eight years six years ago i don't know what it was but yeah when it was a two quarterback league man you you better get them very early because you will be scrapping during the bye weeks yeah i used to only draft like quarterbacks and running backs until i had like a full stable and then i would just pick you know scrub receivers from the end of the bench yeah but less than six days to go until the season opener so that's pretty exciting um steve one more thing we wanted to hit before we get out of here is another famous Steve, Steve Nash, as you may have heard, is going to take over as head coach of the Brooklyn Nets. I have something I want to talk about in a second, but first things first, I just want to get your thoughts on this, frankly, kind of awesome and surprising coaching hire. Yeah, I was going to use the word surprising. I did not see that coming. I had not um, noticed his name being thrown around like that. And I, I kind of love Steve Nash, man. People give him a hard time. He won a couple MVPs. A lot of people think other people should have won those. But back in the back in his prime, Nash was a really, really good point guard. And he was also like an indie rock kind of guy. He was he was into things that were off the beaten path. And he was a big a big soccer guy. I soccer feel like guy, he was yeah. into some really cool music. And you know, he always had that like kind of a musician's haircut I, I just always kind of dug Nash and I think he's going to be a good coach so I think it was probably a, a good hire for the Nets although we've never really seen him coach before so I guess we'll find out yeah so I just wanted to take a second to revel in kind of what you're saying just how awesome he was as a real life player and a fantasy player so first of all just from a real life standpoint from 2000 2001 that was the season where he kind of broke out with Dallas he was 26 years old. He had kind of been sort of nobody for parts of four seasons for the Mavericks. At age 26, he broke out 15.6 points, 7.3 assists. So that started a run of 12 seasons where he averaged 16.3 points, 9.9 assists, shot nearly 50% from the field. He shot 43% from three-pointers, didn't take all that many. Partially, that was his style of play, partially... Steph Curry had barely changed the game yet. I think if Nash played today, he would have taken plenty more threes. He didn't even have a season where he attempted five per game, and he was a career 43% three-point shooter. (laughs) But just as a fantasy player, these are his year-by-year ranks, okay, from 2003-04, which is the first year I can go back to on basketballmonster.com. It was also his last year with Dallas. So that year, he was 25th. The next year, he was 24th. The next year, he's now with Phoenix. He was 11th. He was 11th again the next year. He's 32 years old at this point. Then he was 22nd. Then he was 41st. Then 34th. Then 50th. Then 66. 66 overall at age 37. So he was a super valuable fantasy player. He had five years in a row in the top 25, according to basketballmonster.com, a couple of top 12 seasons. He was just a beast. And go back, if you haven't, Treat yourself to some Steve Nash highlights in a while. It's really fun to watch. Yep. And then he went to the Lakers and it all kind of crumbled, fell apart. Yep. He was 38 by that time. I mean, crazy that he was Yeah, that was a crazy signing by the Lakers. I remember (laughs) that. I was in my sister-in-law's basement 
in Indy <laughs> doing blurbs in the middle of the night for free agency, and they signed Nash, and I was like, okay, all right. See how this, we'll oh, see man, how this but, goes. Yeah, but, you know, I, I talked earlier. I didn't talk earlier, but I, I hinted earlier at the idea that please don't let me draft Jimmy Butler in fantasy. And part of that is because he has crossed past the age 30 threshold, which is a scary spot to be drafting early round players because production, I, I did a whole write-up on round ball stew last season, this season, last season, about players and a lot of prominent names who had dropped off right at 30, right after 30. Sean Marion is one who comes to mind. But Steve Nash certainly scoffed at that idea. He was putting up dominant numbers well into his 30s, so that's pretty cool to see. And uh, it's going to be pretty wild to see him on an NBA sideline. Yes, it is. I think that's all we got. (laughs) Don't forget to subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen. Take a second to rate and review us as well. We will be back on Tuesday, as always, to break down some recent playoff trends, headlines, whatever Steve got into at the golf course over the weekend. (laughs) So we will see you on Tuesday. Thanks to all of you for listening. Steve, thanks for taking the time, man. We will talk to you soon. Another famous Steve signing off. (laughs) The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn on what you want, like trying out that new workout class, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like a foam roller for your sore muscles. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are, with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash active cash.